to start what it is that God has laid on my heart today than that song by Kurt Franklin. Um, we couldn't arrange for the choir to come in on such short notice. Um, but really, I think much of the spirit of what I want to share with you today is contained in that song when we can say, my life is in your hands. And here's the truth, that when we trust our future to God, when we trust our future to God, then His peace surrounds us. When we trust our future to God, then His peace surrounds us, and then our lives can be filled with the joy that only comes from God. When we trust Him with our future, then His peace surrounds us, and in the midst of that, His joy then fills us. Now, on the other side of that, when we don't trust God with our future, then fear surrounds us. And in the midst of that fear, our lives are filled with anxiety. When we don't trust Him with our future, then our lives will be surrounded by fear and in the midst of those lives, it will be filled with anxiety. Another word for anxiety would be the word worry. If we're just talking kind of what we would normally say in our language. Uh, I want you to know this morning that worry stems from our lack of trust in God the Father with our future. It's very clear to me that worry is about, um, worry is directed towards the future. It is, a, I, I'm, I'm worried, I'm overly concerned about what will happen, uh, what's going to come up, what could occur. Worry is about the future. The other thing that occurs to me is that joy is always in terms is always about the present. Worry is about the future. Joy is about the present. We experience joy now. Now you could talk about the word hope, hope looking forward. And I'm I'm not saying there's not joy in our future. I'm just saying joy is an experience that we have now. It, it's about the present. And this is what occurs to me. Or as the black preacher used to say in post-Texas, this is why the Lord sent me by to talk to you today. <laughs> this is what the Lord te told me to tell you today. This is why he sent me here. Worry about the future robs our joy in the present. Worry about the future 
robs our joy in the presence. If I kind of had to narrow that down to one little statement, it is this, and this is the truth of the day, that worry robs our joy. Worry robs our joy. And God wants us to experience His joy today. But many times because we are so concerned about tomorrow, we lose the experience that God wants us to have today. Hmm. Philippians chapter 4 In verse 4, Paul repeats his theme that has laced itself throughout the entire letter. When he says, rejoice in the Lord always, again I will say rejoice. In fact, in sermon 1, two months ago or however long ago that's been, I said Philippians 4.4 4 is the theme for the whole book. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Joy or rejoice is contained in the letter 16 times. It is his theme that laces throughout the entire book. Paul qualifies the command to rejoice with two phrases, in the Lord. <laughs> if our happiness is dependent upon our circumstances, then we will not always have happiness or joy. But if our joy is based in Christ, then we can always have joy because He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. Even though the circumstances in my life may not be real great, Christ is still the same. He is still on the throne. He is still in control. And He has bought my life. And He has my eternity set. So one of the qualifications to rejoice is in the Lord the other one is always, which means in all circumstances, regardless of what is going on in my life, rejoice. It is not dependent upon my circumstances, but it is dependent upon Christ. And not only does Paul say in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always, but he doubles down and says, again, I will say, rejoice. But notice this morning what he goes on to say. Verse 5. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And the things which you learned and received, and heard, and saw in me, these do. 
and the God of peace will be with you. Worry is one of the things (laughs) that will steal our joy. As we draw this sermon series to a conclusion, actually that will be next Sunday, I want to remind you that throughout these sermons I have talked about those things which are the joy killers. We talked about comparison, living in comparison and not out of calling. Comparison will steal our joy. We talked about contamination, that when we do not walk the path with people that are walking uh, the same direction we are, those people will steal our joy. We talked about a wrong perspective, that when we see life from a human perspective instead of a heavenly perspective, that human perspective will steal our joy. We talked about compromise. When we're not willing to give our whole heart and to lose all things for Christ, but we compromise and say, but this is something I'm going to hold on to and I'm going to look to this for my security and my hope and maybe even my joy. It will be that very thing that we compromised and we're not willing to give up that will be the very thing that will steal our joy. We talked about comfort. That if we're not willing to pay the cost, there is no joy. We talked about self-centeredness, stealing our joy. When our lives are not focused on investing in others, but we're focused on ourselves, our own pursuit of being happy will be the very thing that will steal our joy, ironically enough. We talked about a focus on the past instead of a focus on the future. And whether those things in the past are good or whether they're bad, they will be the very things that will steal our joy. And then last Sunday we talked about disunity as the final joy killer. We add to that list this morning, worry. Being so overly concerned about something that is to come that it robs us of the very joy that God wants us to experience now. It's kind of interesting in verse 5 that uh, it almost seems like the verse is a little out of place. So after Paul has said in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice, he says, Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. That's before he starts talking in verse 6 about being anxious. That word gentleness in verse 5, that's the way my New King James Version translates it. Um, It is a word that is difficult with one English word to capture the meaning. I I think when I was a kid, I had flashbacks to old Bibles, you know, it's like, Revised Standard Version or something. You go, I think it said moderation. Let your moderation. Does anybody else have moderation? Maybe that's NIV. I don't know. Let your moderation be known to all men. Uh, probably the word maybe is captured by the English phrase gentle forbearance. I wouldn't use that in common conversation this week. I'm impressed by your gentle forbearance. 
I think the word that I thought of is the word graciousness. That kind of captures the sense of this word. Let your graciousness. And you know the thing that strikes me about it? It says, let your gentleness be known to all men. Paul is saying when people look at your life, let them see gentleness, moderation, graciousness. You know what I think he's getting at? The world is watching how we respond to the things that come about in life. They're watching us. And part of that is joy. Paul's kind of, his point is, when the world watches you and they know that life's hitting you and times are hard and things are going against you, they want to see how you respond. And joy ought to be one of those things. But he adds to that this sense of gentleness, a graciousness, When the world was watching the Christians in Philippi and they knew there was opposition and there were things going on in their lives and things were getting tough, tough, the world was watching to see how are you responding and what are your actions and what are your attitudes. And Paul said, let your graciousness be known to all men. Let them see, let, let them see that it didn't knock you down, knock you off your game. No, you took it, as we say, with a grain of salt. And when people were mean and said things and that, when they were mean, let your graciousness be known to all men. Let them see your control and that there's something deeper to you. The point that I get is Paul is saying the world is watching you. But I think he he kind of, He balances that by that next phrase when he says the Lord is at hand because what he's saying is the Lord is near. So the world's watching you. That's true. But you also need to know God's real close too. (laughs) I think he's kind of saying God's watching you too. Now this could could almost have a reference to uh, the second coming. His coming is close. Live in such a way that he could come at any time. Ah, the theological word would be the word imminent. Imminence. God is imminent. He's right there. So live in such a way that the world would see God's character in your life, but also know as you live that God is real close. The Lord is at hand. He is imminent. He is in the present. And now... What I want to tell you today, verse 6, be anxious for nothing. The word anxious there is a word that means to be overly concerned to the point of being fretful. Um, I am a planner. I know what I'm going to do today. I know what I'm planning for tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And my mind's already through January. February is still open. Uh, There is nothing wrong with us being concerned about the future. We ought to plan. That is a part of wisdom. But there is a point we can become so concerned, overly concerned about what is coming that, as I said earlier, it steals our joy for today. We don't live in today because we're always concerned about tomorrow. This very so when Paul says be 
anxious for nothing. It is that word anxious is the very word that Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, when he says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry. It's the same word. It's kind of interesting. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? It's interesting to me that Jesus is saying, He says, what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will put on. Notice worry is about the future. I'm concerned about tomorrow. And Jesus is saying, do not worry about those things. He says, look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them, and are you not more of value than they? Which of you, by adding, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you, not, why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field which is today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little trust, faith? No, you didn't trust the Heavenly Father that he was going to take care of you. Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Then Jesus concludes and says, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. To be anxious is to be overly concerned about tomorrow. That is God's responsibility as our Heavenly Father and we as His children. We are to trust Him with those things. When we take, those, when we take tomorrow upon ourselves, then we put a weight on our shoulders that is not designed to be ours. What were the Philippians worried about? What is it that the Philippians had to be so overly concerned about? Well, in 128, he talks about the opposition from without. He says, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries. They had to worry about the outside world and the persecution. They were, cons- they were worried about Epaphroditus, 226, since he... Epaphroditus was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. They were worried, I think, about what would happen or was going to happen to Epaphroditus from their church that had gone to minister to Paul. They were concerned about the conflict within the church. 4-2, I implore Euodia and I implore Syndicate to be of the same mind in the Lord. Not only was there opposition from the outside, but there was conflict within. They were surely worried about Paul. In 4.10 it says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. They were concerned Paul in prison facing death. What was going to happen to him? 
And then they were concerned about their daily needs in 419. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And so what is it in the midst of Paul's words? What what does he teach us? How are we to maintain our joy? How is it that we keep worry about tomorrow, stealing or robbing our joy of today? And so in verse 6 he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Hmm. The first way that we maintain our joy is through prayer. I know that sounds like a Sunday school answer. It's like, now, Brother Darrell, we pay you good money, and this is what you came up with. (laughs) You're going to tell us to pray about it. Well, in verse 6, at the end he says, Let your request be made known unto God. So you're concerned about something for the future? He says, take that off of your shoulders, boop, put it on God's shoulders. God called me to live for Him today. And he would take care of tomorrow. So whatever it is that you're concerned about, talk to God about it, verbalize it, put it on his shoulders, and you make your request known to God. Now really, he's already said that when he says in everything by prayer and supplication. which Actually, the word supplication and the word request are the same words. Part of prayer is telling God what we need. That's part of prayer. But there is more to prayer than that. But I don't want to dismiss that. How do we maintain our joy? We tell God what our needs are. And we put those needs, we take them off of our shoulders and we put them on His shoulders and say, God, this is your responsibility. It's about tomorrow and all you've done is called me. All you've given me is today. And therefore, I'm going to live for you today. Now, he says in verse 6, with that, those requests, that supplication, that we are to do it with thanksgiving. Now, the sense I get from that is that Paul includes that because he says, Be sure that when you come to God with your request, that you also thank Him for what He's already done, that He's gotten you to today. Amen? No, you've already seen me through a lot. And I'm thankful for that. So... Let your requests be made known unto God, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Be sure and thank Him for for His goodness in the past. But the word prayer, when He says, but in everything by prayer. Hmm. He says, but in everything by prayer and supplication. So whatever he means by prayer, he means it is something different than than supplication. There is more to prayer than just asking for things. And he uses two different words. If he just said it's about telling God about it and laying it on God's shoulders, then he would have just said supplication, let your request be made known unto God. Yes, do it with thanksgiving. That's always great to thank him for the things, his goodness in the past. But he says, but in everything by prayer... I believe the distinction that Paul is making in the word prayer, it is a word that communicates communion with God. 
Yes, prayer is asking God for things. I don't want to dismiss that. But there is an aspect of prayer that is communing with God. And communing to the extent, spending time with God so that we acknowledge and sense His power and His presence. Get this. If I just go to God and I've got a wish list of things and like, okay, God, boom. And I don't, maybe you're a kind of person, you can just kind of dismiss that and go, I've, I've left that with God. I think there's more to prayer than that. There is spending time with God in His presence so that in the midst of that experience, in the midst of my life, when I'm weighted down by all of these things in my life, it helps me acknowledge the presence and the power of God. And I would say part of prayer is communion with God, spending enough time with Him when I sense His presence and there is a greater reality than what I'm experiencing here on this earth. There is a heavenly reality. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? If you don't understand, I can elaborate this point for quite a while. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? Oh, yeah. Brother Barry says, no, no, we got you the first time. The first six times, Brother Darrell. George Mueller, a great man of faith, wrote in his autobiography, or he wrote in autobiographical information, This is what George Mueller said. He said, The first great and primary thing was every day to have my soul happy in the Lord. George Mueller said, The first great and primary thing was every day to have my soul happy in the Lord. I don't know if it was George Mueller, another one of the greats of the faith. I remember reading, and in answer to the question, he said, so how long do you spend with the Lord in the morning? His basic answer was, I spend long enough until the peace of God resides on my heart and my life. And let's just be honest, most of the times we just go to the Lord in the morning and it's just kind of something we got to check off our list because we really got, mm, Daryl Smith has got 34 things I need to get accomplished today. So God, I don't have a lot of time for this. I just need a little checkup. Mm-hmm, okay, make sure we're on the same page. Everything's mm, good, right? Hmm. But the greats of the faith said, no, I stayed there until the peace And the joy that only came from God resided on my heart and my life. And I knew that there was a greater reality. His presence. His power. And to live that out every day. And I believe that's what Paul has in mind at least partly. Because then in verse 7 he says. If in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, we let our requests be made known unto God. And he says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts 
and your minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God. That's why I described it earlier. I said when we trust God with our future, the peace of God will surround us. And actually the word that is used here that says will guard our hearts, it is like a guard that guards a city and keeps intruders out. What is the intruder? Anxiety, stress. No, if you will let your request be made known to God and you will commune with Him and His peace, I mean His power and His presence will be known in your life and you'll live out of that, then the peace of God will surround you and it will keep the stress, the anxiety, the worry out of your life like a guard of a city keeping out an intruder. And it is a peace, in verse 7, that does not make any sense to human understanding because it is a peace that can come in the worst of circumstances. And so it is the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. It will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus and keep out anxiety. And so prayer, how do we maintain our joy? We pray... And we spend time with God, as Paul has said. The second thing and the final thing is that we meditate. Verse 8, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things things Hmm. make your request known to God commune with him long enough that you experience his power and his presence so that the peace of God surrounds you and then in the midst of your day meditate on those things which are in line with God's character Where does worry come from? Worry, by its very nature, is something that we dwell on over and over in our minds. Boy, and I tell you what, Daryl Smith's good at this. Boy, I can build up something in my brain that's not even reality. If you leave it in here long enough, it'll be disproportionate to reality. But I know that's only me. Because we just roll it over and over in our mind. It's, it's almost within the definition of worry. It, we are dwelling on something that is negative. That behavior becomes a habit, a way of life. That we choose Hmm. Daryl Smith didn't really like to hear that part of it you understand there's some parts of my sermon I don't really like we choose what our minds will dwell on I know you say I can't stop it no you can you choose not to I choose not to and we dwell on it we meditate on it On the negative, it becomes a habit in our life and it takes hold. 
Paul says, do just the opposite. Whatever is in line with God's good character, think on those things. Choose to think about those things. And he lists all those things, true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report. Finally, he just says, if there's any virtue, if anything praiseworthy, anything good, do you understand that the converse side of that is, is a description of worry in that when we think about those things that are not true, that are not noble, that are not just, that are not pure, that are not lovely, things that are of a bad report, things that don't have any virtue, that have nothing about them that are praiseworthy, when we dwell on those things, it will drag us down. And as the point of my sermon earlier is it will steal our joy today because we're dwelling on things about the future that don't even need to be in our minds. And so he says, dwell on those things which are good. We choose what thoughts we will dwell on. But the thing is, the worry has become a habit. It has become a way of life that we must break. But we have the power in Christ to break that. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 10:5, Paul says, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. I'm not saying we can control what thoughts pop in our brains, but we can choose what we do with those thoughts once they pro- pl- pop. What am I trying to say here? Pop? In a- yeah, you know what I'm saying. What we do with them. And whether we choose... Let me just tell you, I listened to Brother Kurt Franklin several times this week. I'll just be honest with you. (laughs) And whether it's Christian music, whether it's meditating upon Scripture, whatever it takes to break the cycle of dwelling on negative things, you have to do it, and you have the power in Christ to do that, but you must make the choice. And so how do we maintain our joy? We pray And we meditate. And then finally he says in verse 9, In the things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. We are then to live it out in the present. Paul says whatever it is, that you learned from me, whatever it was that I passed down to you in doctrine, whatever it is that you heard with your ears, you saw with your eyes in me, do those things. Because it's not just about thinking, it's about doing. Sooner or later, you've got to live it out with your life. And the, the thing that strikes me about that, that last phrase, it's about now. It's about today. Worry about the future robs us of our joy today. And you got to live it out today. Worry will keep us from living that out because it is negative and it focuses on the future. And if it consumes us, it will keep God from doing what He wants to do in our life today. Because right now is all 
we have and all we are promised. Worry robs our joy. It's another secret to joy. If you would stand with me this morning, let me pray. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, the altar is open this morning. (laughs) If it needs to be a time that you need to commune with God, as some already have, the altar is open for you to lay those concerns at His feet, to place them on God's shoulders. And so, Father, today, we, be, we pray as we trust you with our future that you will surround us by peace and then you will fill us with joy. And I pray that the world in the midst of our lives, when they know that times are tough, will see a difference and they will see you. So, Father, we give this time to you. We pray it in Jesus' name.